first church I served was in an economically distressed little town in northern Indiana. We had two ministries there, one to the church where I preached on Sunday and the other to a youth group um, on Wednesday night to kids who didn't come to church. Uh, the Wednesday night kids, um, even though they didn't attend church, uh, nevertheless, there were several of them who were open to the gospel. And uh, one son, uh, went, not Sunday, uh, they didn't come on Sunday. On a Wednesday evening, a young teenage girl came up to me and said, I think I'd like to follow Christ and be baptized. Uh, well, this is wonderful. So I thought I'd go to uh, her house and talk to her and her parents. Uh, they lived uh, just a couple of doors down from the church. And so uh, next day, uh, went over and uh, knocked on the door and uh, was excited about what was going to happen. But that excitement soon turned to uh, disillusionment. There was a gruff older man who appear, uh, appeared to be old to me at the time I was you know, barely 22. But everybody looked old then. But he also looked kind of scary, and he sounded uh, scary. He said, what do you want? So I told him who I was and why I was there. and. I thought when he heard that his daughter was interested in God uh, and who wanted to follow Christ and identify with him, uh, that he'd be excited about that, even if he was not uh, a believer himself. I would think, uh, you know, when God changes a person, it's pretty noticeable in, in a household. And so um, I didn't have to wait long uh, before I realized that he was not happy at all. Uh, he proceeded to raise his voice and curse me up one side and down the other. And uh, then he exploded in rage. <laughs> he acted as though I had thrown a rock through his window or something. And uh, then he yelled at his daughter who was there with tears streaming out of her eyes, not tears of conviction or uh, happiness, but tears of uh, fear and dismay. And so when the man literally slammed the door on me, uh, he figuratively slammed the door on his daughter's budding faith. And I never saw either of them again. So I was bewildered, you know. Why would anyone be so hostile toward Christ or so hostile toward someone in the family who would want to follow him? Uh, I always thought that was a, a good thing. You know, the, the fruits of faith uh, are wonderful. But in my naivete, I believed that um, this was really the way it would be. Um, you know, after all, isn't Jesus the solution to all the problems in life? Uh, don't we tell ourselves that? Uh, apparently, as I had just learned, not everyone believed that. It can be tough, very tough, to follow Jesus. I've often heard people pray very sweetly, Lord, I want more of you and all that you have planned for me. Now, I'm 90% sure that those who prayed these words were thinking of all the blessings 
that would come their way. So before we go any further, if you are new to the faith or if you are contemplating uh, coming to Christ in faith, let me tell you right up front that it's not always a walk in the park. It's not always one blessing right after another. There will be, there will be a lot of blessings to be sure, but I want to let you know that if you follow Christ, it'll be on the same road that led him to the cross, and it might lead you to something just like that. So let's dig into the text that Jennifer read to us just um, a minute ago. This is a difficult passage uh, to exegete and uh, to, uh, to deliver, uh, because in this passage we see Jesus talking about fire and division. Those are not pleasant terms. We also see him chastised in the crowds for their lack of discernment regarding spiritual matters. So what is the point that Jesus is making here? Well, it's clear that his message is urgent. And as we explore the text this morning, uh, we're going to see Jesus doing three things. First of all, he delivers a powerful declaration then he, he asks a penetrating question, and then finally he issues a stinging admonition. So first of all, what is this declaration that Jesus delivers? Well, he's declaring the purpose for which he came. If, <clears throat> let me ask you this. If, if someone were to ask you, uh, why did Jesus come to the world? I doubt you would have said, I doubt that the first thing that would pop into your mind would be, oh, well, that's obvious. He came to bring fire on the earth. Everybody knows that. You know, we would think more in terms of he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to redeem his people from their sins. Uh, those are the ones that we focus on. But, but here, Jesus is saying that the, the purpose for which he came was to bring fire to the earth. And not only did he declare that, he also communicated how he feels about it. He says, would that it were already kindled. I mean, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, hey, I, I want you all to know something. I came here in order to bring fire, and I can hardly wait for it to come. You know, it's like he's gleefully anticipating the opportunity to just scorch the earth. Is that what he's saying? Is, is he you know, really looking forward uh, to uh, this act of judgment? Well, let's see if we can shed a little light on uh, the, the, the passage here so that we can um, get a clearer idea of what Jesus is actually saying. And, and to do that, I, I need to give you just one very basic Greek lesson. It's not hard. Uh, but in the Greek language, when you want to emphasize a particular word, you know, we might italicize it or underline it or put it in bold print. But in the Greek language, they put that word first. So in uh, verse uh, 49, the, the literal reading of this verse in the original language would be, fire, I have come upon the earth. But that makes no sense to us in English. So the translators insert this little article for for fire I have come upon the earth. So that makes a little more sense, doesn't it? 
But what I want to point out here is that the first word is the most important. And the first word that we actually find here is the word fire. So Jesus is wanting to make it clear that fire is on his mind. He wants his listeners to understand uh, why he uh, you know, came to bring fire. Well, what kind of fire? I mean, literal fire or a figurative fire? In the Bible, we see that fire is often a symbol for judgment. Is that what he's talking about here? In the Bible, we also see that fire can be a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God came down uh, upon the believers in and, and Acts, Acts 2, uh, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit rested upon them uh, as tongues of fire. And fire can also be a picture of God's message. We think of you know, the, the fiery prophets in the Bible, like John the Baptist, or for perhaps Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, so which of these uh, usages of fire is Jesus referring to here? Uh, I think it may be all three. Uh, so uh, let's look again at the, the, the verse. He said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Okay, Jesus said that the fire has not yet been kindled. And then in the very next statement, he refers to his baptism uh, that is to come. And so this is a reference to his coming death on the cross. The fire of judgment was coming to Jesus. He was going to be enduring the wrath of God that is referred to in this image of fire. And when he says... Uh, would that it were already kindled. What? Hold on a second. All this talking about fire made me desire water. So, hold on. I don't want to put out the fire that's inside. Mind you, just wet my whistle a bit. But when we think about Jesus saying, would that it were already kindled, it almost sounds like he is eagerly anticipating that. Now, if you knew that your destiny was the same destiny that Jesus had, that you were going to nail to a cross and, and torture there and, until you died, would you be looking forward to that? I mean, there are things that we do look forward to. You know, kids look forward to Christmas. Uh, students look forward to the end of the semester. Uh, however, most students do not look forward to the week before uh, classes are out that we know as exam week. Except for two people who were sitting here on the front row, uh, my wife and my youngest son, I think really do look forward to exams. Uh, so they can showcase uh, what they know. Uh, they can get back to the professor, uh, wh what he or she is asking for, and they take sheer delight in that. Um, they are not from the same planet that I am from. Two of the best students you'll ever find. And I got, I got them both. <laughs> um, anyway, where was I? Um, 
think what Jesus is talking about here is he came for this purpose and he is eager to fulfill the purpose for which he came. Even if that means going through the baptism through which he will have to go, he is eager to purchase the redemption of his people. He's eager you know, to have that behind him. He's got his mind set on that. His, his face is set like flint toward the cross. Nothing, nothing is going to distract him from that. So what do we say in response? Well, one thing, hallelujah, what a Savior. And something else. When we think about the cross, in, in one sense, we, we think about it in, in its horrors. Uh, just to imagine what was involved with that uh, still send shivers up and down my legs. It's, it's hard for me to think about the, the crucifixion uh, as it really is. But when we think about it uh, from a, a different perspective, it's very encouraging to think about the cross. Because, you know, even today, even at this very moment, uh, there have got to be people in this room who are distracted. So uh, we have windows on each side. We didn't used to have windows in the sanctuary, but now we do. And that's here so that when you get bored, you can look out the window. Okay, now that I have your attention, uh, you know, there, it, it's just really hard to focus all the time on what we, what we need to be focusing on, right? I mean, minds do wonder. And so I just want to acknowledge that it's not just people who have no interest in spiritual things who may be here under protest or maybe out of curiosity. Uh, what I do want to emphasize is that even mature Christians, um, like many of us, our minds will wonder when we should be locked in on what God may be saying to us. So, you know, it's possible uh, even um, probable, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, that you know we can go through a day or maybe a week or, or maybe even longer where we, we kind of lose our focus. Uh, we're not uh, centered on Christ uh, to the degree that uh, we, we know that we should or that we'd even like to be. And uh, so we, we may pray you know, just a perfunctory little prayer in passing, maybe at mealtime or um, maybe when you're in the park and not looking for a place to park and you might utter utter a little prayer at, at that time. Um, what I'm saying is that even mature believers go through uh, a seasons where uh, we, we kind of lose our focus. We don't think about the, the impact that the gospel may be having in our community or on our campuses or uh, in, in our nation or even beyond. Uh, we kind of lose sight of that because we are distracted by all the stuff that, that happens. And there's some stuff that happens that's not pleasant. Some things that are really hard, right? Don't you go through those times? So it's possible for us to wander from our fellowship with God and do things that are out of harmony with walking worthy of the gospel. And it's, it's often, and we don't even realize it, 
we, we don't realize how far from the Lord we may have drifted or how far away our minds have, have drifted. It, it's almost like he's you know, not really in our minds anymore. And I want to tell you something that's encouraging. You know what Jesus is saying here in verse 50? Effectively, here's what he's saying. I know that you might not feel close to me. I know that there might be times when your mind wanders, but my mind never does. You might not be focused on me, but I am always, always focused on you. Your redemption is like a, it's locked in my mind like a laser beam. Hallelujah. What a Savior who thinks about us that intently that he will not let us go. So Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He went to the cross for us. He endured that baptism for us. Now, the word uh, baptizo in, in the original language means to be uh, submerged or overwhelmed with, with something. Um, when we practice baptism, you know, you're overwhelmed with water, but in Jesus' case here, the baptism of fire that he's going through is he is overwhelmed with sorrow and rejection, completely submerged by it. So that's the declaration is that Jesus came to redeem us by going through fire for us. And then uh, he asks a question of the disciples, um, of the crowd who's there. He's, he said he's always focused on our salvation, and, and so he turns to them and he asks this question. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Is that what you think? Now, why is Jesus asking this question? It's because he knows that when his disciples go out declaring that he is the one and only way of salvation, they are not going to be met with accolades. People are not going to be saying, that is the most wonderful thing I think I have ever heard. Can you tell us more? They're going to be rejected even as he was rejected. They'll be met by hundreds and even thousands of folks who will tell them that they are out of their minds. Are you saying that I have to believe in this poor Jewish rabbi for my salvation or be eternally lost? Is that what you're saying? You've got to be kidding. Oh, you're not. Well, then you really are out of your mind. And Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Do not be surprised when this happens. Don't be. Because I didn't come so that everybody could all get together and agree on nothing. So that we would all be you know, sort of spiritual and sort of live and let live. But you know something? This is actually what a lot of people want. They desire to have peace and harmony among all religions as uh, indicated by a bumper sticker that you might have seen like this around town. Uh, it says coexist, and if you can read the fine print under there, under each of those letters, you have uh, is the symbols for Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan, and Christianity. 
And so there are some who are saying, why can't all of you spiritual people just kind of get together and agree on the least common denominator and we'll have peace and harmony? You know, uh, with all the divisiveness present in society these days, it seems like the last thing that we need is a gospel text that seems to encourage more division. This is why Pope Francis has been applauded throughout our country and the world as one who is bringing unity among those of different faiths. In uh, 2014, uh, the Pope brought together Muslims, Jews, and Christians for an interfaith dialogue. And uh, here's what the Pope had to say to this diverse group of people. The majority, here's the quote, the majority of us know how to coexist, it's, it's easier for us. And that's a clear message. It's a message that we have the same Father up in heaven and, his, and the same Father down on earth and we adore him, end of quote. And so by reaching, reaching across the aisle of faith, the Pope has gained worldwide acclaim and respect. He wants to bring peace among people of different faiths. And you know what? Our culture is ready for that. We're ready for that kind of peace. Our culture desperately wants to be united around love and tolerance and goodwill. Now, who wouldn't want unity among the faiths? Really? Who wouldn't want that? Well, Jesus Christ certainly does not. Do you think he came to earth to go through the baptism of fire? so that we might be saved. We could be saved that way, or we could be saved some other way, just whatever you might dream up. Why would he bother to come and go through the baptism of fire if there is some other way to be redeemed? There is only one way to the Father. It is through the Son. And we must not be ashamed to speak that. But if we do, if you do, when you do, don't be surprised if you come up against resistance. Now, Jesus did say if we follow him, you know, his, uh, his way is the way of the cross. And so we can expect uh, to be treated the same way that he was treated. I came as the only, the one and only way of salvation, Jesus is saying, and the world will be divided over me. Now there will be those who will embrace Jesus as Savior and there will be those who will reject him as Savior. There will be no in between. Jesus is the dividing line. This is what he's saying to his disciples here. Now notice how the message of the cross does not bring unity but division. There is no unity outside the cross. Do you think I come to bring peace on the earth? That's the penetrating question. And Jesus asked that the question, he asked that question of the disciples because he wants them to be ready for the rejection that comes for the sake of the gospel. Now, some of you, I think, understand what Jesus is saying. Perhaps uh, you announced your intention to follow Christ to your family, 
And they went ballistic on me. Uh, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you about a teenage girl who wanted to follow Christ, but her father slammed the door on that desire. Um, more recently, I have talked with people here in our community, um, students at Eastern, who have expressed a desire to follow Christ, but could not bring themselves to do so because they knew that their parents would not approve. Jesus is the dividing line. I think just about everyone has heard of Stephen Hawking, a brilliant astrophysicist who was on the faculty at Cambridge. Uh, you probably knew that, but what you probably do not know is that Hawking's wife, Jane, to whom he was married for 25 years and had three children with her, is a devout Christian. Uh, Jane explained that, you know, her husband, who had uh, ALS, we would call it uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, which uh, does terrible things uh, to the human body. Uh, one of the things that it did to Stephen Hawking is it paralyzed him, made him unable to speak. But one of Stephen Hawking's uh, friends at, at Cambridge um, that designed and developed some kind of voice synthesizer so that uh, Stephen would actually be able to communicate uh, with that device. And so uh, Jane relates uh, the relationship that she had with her husband. She found it extremely difficult to care for someone uh, who had a, a disease that, that terrible. And uh, that wasn't the hardest part, though, she said. That Stephen uh, was a devout atheist. He enjoyed a notoriety, I guess we could say that, or maybe fame is a better word uh, for being such a, a leading atheist. And he wanted his wife to also be an atheist with him. He wanted her to renounce her faith in Christ and openly proclaim that she was now an atheist. Uh, Jane couldn't do that. She explained to Stephen, said, it is my faith that gives me the strength to minister to you, to help you do the things that you can't do on your own. Well, he didn't like that. The uh, conflict between the two of them uh, just grew more intense until one day Stephen decided uh, that he might rather have one of his nurses as a wife instead of this woman who had been his wife for 25 years. And so uh, he divorced Jane and married this nurse. You know who that nurse was? She was the wife of the friend who developed and made this synthesizer so that Stephen could communicate. Well, you know, maybe gratitude wasn't one of his strong suits. But the point I'm wanting to make here is if you identify with Christ, you won't always have peace, not even in the most precious relationships that you may have. And so it would cause someone maybe to ask the question, if following Christ can 
separate me from those whom I love most, is it worth it? Indeed, is it worth it? You know what Jesus is saying to us in this passage? He's saying, yes, it is very possible that if you follow me, you're going to have division in your house. It almost sounds like the American Civil War here. You know, brother against brother, the father against son, uh, so forth and so on, three against two and two against three, father-in-law, uh, or you know, mother against mother-in-law, so forth, that you're going to have that. It's a very real possibility, but it's worth it. Whatever it costs to follow Christ in order to get Christ, it's worth it. Jesus is the dividing line. And so we've seen Jesus deliver a powerful declaration. We've seen him answer a penetrating question. Well, the, the powerful declaration is that I came to bring fire on the earth. The penetrating question is, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Those are his words. And now we see a stinging admonition. Uh, let's go through these verses together, uh, verses 54 through 56. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Well, essentially, Jesus looks at the multitudes and he says, you know what? You guys can tell me what the weather is going to be like today, but you can't tell me anything about the God who made the earth and the sky. You can look at a little cloud coming across the Mediterranean and you know that that cloud, when it gets up to the hill country of Palestine, that it's going to bring rain. And you can feel the south wind start to blow up from the desert and you know that the temperature is going to go up. So Jesus effectively is saying, you guys are better than the weather channel. <laughs> you can tell me all about the weather, but you can't tell me a thing about the God who made the weather. And these were people who knew their scriptures very, very well. So they knew the scriptures, but when the scripture appears to them in human form, they just don't get it. So basically, here's the issue Jesus is addressing with these people when he talks to them about the weather and their lack of discernment. Um, he, he's pointing out exactly that. that. They lack spiritual discernment. They can tell you all kinds of things about the weather. They can't tell you up from down when it comes to the things of God. And so that leads me to ask this question. Do we lack spiritual discernment? discernment. I fear that this may be the case. You know, there are lots of other, you know, gospels that are floating through the culture. One of the more uh, popular ones is the prosperity gospel, uh, also known as the 
health, wealth, gospel, that if you send your money to whoever the televangelist is, uh, then God will shower you with riches and he'll make you wealthy, he'll make you healthy. It's curious that you can't send your money to just any mission or any missionary. It's got to be the guy who's behind the camera or in front of the camera. You got to send it to him or to her. So that's going around there, and you know, let's be influenced by that. And then uh, there's another false gospel that tells us that the welfare of the kingdom of God depends entirely upon which political party is in power. Some may believe that as long as you're not Hitler or Stalin or Mao or some other Bruce, uh, brutal mass murderer, then you're basically a good person and all good persons go to heaven. And there are other false gospels that we are exposed to and may actually believe. We need spiritual discernment. And so this is why we're going to interrupt our series of sermons from the book of Luke and turn our attention to developing spiritual discernment because Jesus tells us this is what we need to do. So uh, next week, I'm making an announcement here in the middle of a sermon. What do you think about that? It's really efficient use of words and time, right? Uh, next week, we're going to be in Galatians 1. Uh, Galatians was written barely 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And already uh, there were false gospels that were infiltrating the ranks of believers. And Paul barely says hello in the first five verses before he says this in verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some out there who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And we need to make sure, very sure, that we can distinguish between the real gospel and any other would-be gospel. And so... Uh, we have this clever little title, uh, you know, fake news or good news. Uh, fake news is in the news. Um, you know, there's fake news and then there's news about the fake news. So this is going to be news about the fake news. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I don't stop and, and move on. But why are we doing this? Because of what Jesus said in this passage we just read, spiritual discernment is an urgent matter. And we need to pay attention to that. The matter is urgent. Now, uh, in, in the last section here, uh, I, I want you to, to, to see something. Uh, Jesus says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. 
and the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, anytime we look at a parable, we are really interested in knowing uh, who is Jesus talking about, uh, who are the people uh, who will not get out until they pay the very last penny. As one commentator has said, we can squeeze a parable so tightly uh, that it bleeds, uh, but come away from it not really understanding what it's saying. Uh, so essentially what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that this matter here about spiritual discernment that I've been talking to you about, uh, this matter is really urgent. And to illustrate how urgent it is, imagine someone on his way to court where someone is going to you know, haul him before the judge and he's going to be found guilty. And so Jesus is saying, uh, the, the matter is urgent. You need to take, take care of this while you have an opportunity, lest you lose everything you've got. All right. Uh, why are we doing this again? Um, well, you know, the matter is urgent, and I don't know how much time I have with you. Um, you know, there's a you know, nebulous date out there for retirement, and I don't want to you know, leave here and say, well, you know, there were some things I wanted to say to you, but I never seemed to really get around to it. Um, the matter is urgent, so there we go. Um, there's another matter uh, that's of particular urgency. Uh, that is the matter of coming to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you have thought about following Jesus for a long time. For some, it may be days or weeks or months. For some, even for years. We must never assume that we got plenty of time. I got a guarantee from God that I'm going to live X number of years. And I'll get around to that uh, when it's convenient. I'm reminded of something that R.C. Sproul said. He said, we have a generation of people who think they can stand before the judgment seat of God despite their sin. No, you can't. Jesus came to absorb the fire of judgment that we are destined for apart from him. You must accept what he has done for you or you will have to go through that fire yourself. Standing with Jesus may be costly, very costly, but it is absolutely worth whatever it costs. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we recognize that the passage we've looked at this morning um, in one sense can be a little difficult to understand in another sense. So what we do understand is hard for us to accept. And beyond all of that, it is that this message that you gladly and willfully came to this earth to become one of us, to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. You 
did this gladly in order to purchase our redemption. You never let your mind wander away from the purpose for which you came. We do worship you. We want to worship you better than we know how. But in this moment here of reflection, as we absorb what you said to us uh, in the scriptures, may we be aware that you loved us uh, to this end, that you would go through this baptism of fire for us in order to attain the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life to come. You did it willingly and gladly in service to the Father and out of deep love for us. Thanks be to God.